Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Wow. We are closing out April Fooled. How did we get here so fast? Uh, because we watched all the movies and we were excited about all of them. Yes. <laughs> we're also recording this a little bit ahead of what we normally yes. would have recorded because- uh, Giving well, ourselves some time. Because we can. Because we can do that. It's funny. With Here we are. We are I mean, obviously you're looking at what it is. It's 2000. Memento from Christopher Nolan, the movie that really kind of broke him into the mainstream America as far as the film goer, film going audience, right? Oh, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. And then after this, he did Insomnia, right? Well, he wouldn't have, yeah, I don't think there's any insomnia without Memento because, right. I mean, Memento, I, I feel like, I feel like Memento was a Sundance. That's where it broke, no? Sundance? Film Festival um, kind of thing, maybe. Or maybe not. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's 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 a, it was a relatively low budget, you know, it was a nine million dollar movie in two thousand, and they shot it. All, I mean, it's all shot in and around Burbank. Yeah, they, you it, and at the old Travel Inn, right? A lot of those landmarks are still there. They're, yeah, the Big Five though. When he's running the stream, like you see the Big Five there on Empire. Oh yeah, it was funny. Like I know all like all those streets. Like he's driving up and down Burbank Boulevard near right. Hollywood Way. Yeah, off of Van Owen, you see the car wash. Right. If you kind of grew up in the area, it's hard to miss any of the stuff that you're seeing there. Like you recognize it right away. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like when you watch uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, you still see little certain things that, that look familiar. But I mean, Hollywood and that part of LA has changed so much. But Burbank, even 23 years later, is still very much the same. There's not a lot of difference. Even if you didn't grow up there, if you drove through there now, you would see a lot of the same landmarks. Right. Which is kind of funny. But yeah, it's it's a weird one, right? For a director like this to come in, a non-American to come in here and make this kind of movie in Los Angeles where it wasn't particularly inexpensive to make either. And the cast probably helps it out, plus because there's not a lot to it. Well, nobody, none of these people were really like, I mean, Guy Pierce was not the Guy Pierce that he sort of, I mean, he was right off of, this is right off of uh, Hollywood Confidential, but I still don't think he was a big, LA. big name. LA Confidential. LA Confidential. What do they call it? Hollywood. Oh, yeah. It would have been better anyway. Hollywood Confidential is another movie. <laughs> uh, he's, ho he's off of LA Confidential and, and Priscilla, but I mean, he's not like, I don't know that he was, a, you know, he was probably affordable. Carrie Ann Moss, I think that The Matrix had just maybe broken. They probably shot this before The Matrix was released, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. You know, the most familiar face in this movie is Pantleano and Stephen Toblowski. Oh, yeah. Steven Tobolowsky is so great. I love him. He's wonderful in everything. Like He's always good. Opening credits, when I saw his name, I thought, what is, again, I know it's funny to say this, and I'm, I'm, this is this is not a bit, because we talked about this before we got on mic. I'm very much Leonard when it comes to this movie. I don't remember anything about it other than the, the obvious premise, like it is with the other three movies. I know the premise. It's, let me digress real quick. The four movies this month, when we picked them, Going into all four of them, 
we both know. Yeah, the surprise. We both we both we, we both knew what the what the angle was because we've seen them, but the experience of watching all four of them has been very different than what I anticipated going into it. I thought, I mean, I I had said this is the most intricate of the movies as far as the way it's written, the way it's cut, the way it's shot, everything. Right. But I, I thought it was funny that all four movies have a very unique thing. Yep. Sixth Sense, the, the twist of it is the secondary. The twist in Usual Suspects is you take that the twist out, the whole damn movie falls apart. The third one, it's a Hitchcockian thing. It's just like Psycho or anything like that. You know that Norman is the one killing. You know that the mother's, the mother's dead, but it's still really a wonderful watch. That's what Shutter Island is. It's a great movie. And this one is, again, I know the twist because the twist is the, the, the twist of the movie is just laid out. It really isn't. It's not a twist twist. No. You know what I mean? Because like you said, is this really a gimmick movie? No, it's not. It's just... I mean, it has an angle, but it's not a gimmick in that where you can really explain it to somebody. Right. Well, and it also would be a gimmick if they didn't explain why or what. If, if it wasn't explained, then it's a gimmick, right? Like right. you're like, and if it doesn't serve a purpose, it doesn't move the movie forward. Or So what a strange movie, because right. I honestly, I haven't seen it since it came out. Right. It holds your attention. You have to really, you, and it's the kind of movie you can't get up. You can't take a phone call. You can't wander off and go, you know, make something to eat and let it keep moving. Because it, it, it too much happens too quickly all the time through this whole movie. Yep. You, you could end up being like, well, how did I get back? I mean, the thing is, it's weird because it's, it's literally like, it's like a circle. It's like, a, it's like an endless loop, except for the loop, the information you're seeing in the loop changes. Right. When we talked about Goop, we were talking about the twists or or the gimmick and the case of what we're, the theme of the month. When you have that opening moment, when you're watching, you're doing that one thing with a Polaroid yeah. picture you're not supposed to do where you're waving it in the air. Yep. <laughs> Waiting for it, to, for it to develop. When it's going in reverse, you're like, wait, what the fuck? What's going on? It tells you all you need to know about what to expect just settle in. This is going in reverse. Right. But what's it going to be like for somebody who's never seen a Polaroid photo before? Like that. What's, what's weird, dude, is I literally just the day before we started watching this, I bought some film for my Polaroid and I was shooting some pictures <laughs> and you know, Polaroids are sort of making a comeback, dude. They're pumping film, you know, they're selling them again. They're, they're, they're selling the Polaroid blue film is there's commercials that run for it. It's weird. It, I was like, oh, how fucking strange is this? Because if this would have been like two years ago, nobody knows what Polaroids are. Well, yeah. And now they're making a comeback. They make a comeback again because when Joey was little, I think he was like four or five. We went to hang out with some friends and the one of them is a photographer and she had one of those little Polaroids that, that took the little pictures, the little ones that yeah, looked like the size I of I have it. one. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're great. Um, so Joey has a whole, took a whole bunch of pictures of that that I post on Facebook somewhere. But yeah, they've, they've kind of been floating around, but yeah, I agree. There's definitely a little, a pushback to that right now where you're seeing a lot more, where you're seeing the full size ones as opposed to those yeah, 600 business card size ones. It's great. That's cool. And it, I've always thought about how indispensable that was for obviously was used on set all the time. It's just, it's for well, dude, positioning yeah. and, and well, they used to know for continuity. That's how right. you took all your continuity shots. You right. shot them with a Polaroid 600. You wrote with a Sharpie on them. You punched a hole in them. You carried them on a ring on your belt. So yeah. if you had to go back to a scene, you'd refer to your Polaroids. 
And then now it's just like you just do with your with an iPad or you're another tablet. Your, yeah, you do it with your or yeah, and you throw it in the program, and you're like, and then, you know. Well, maybe it, I don't know. I don't know how much more efficient it is. Honestly, I mean, there's arguments both ways. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, at the I, I used to have to do them and make books at the end of the show. Like right. so, I'd have everything. I'd write the C numbers. They'd all be written on there with my notes, handwritten, and then I'd put them in a photo album and I would turn them into production. You're Leonard. <laughs> Dude, it's funny because I was thinking when this movie was happening, they were still shooting Polaroids for continuity photos when right? they were making this. So I was wondering, let me go, let me just say this real quick. I was wondering who was actually taking the photos that we're seeing. That's a fair question. And that's something too, because you see Polaroids a whole bunch in seven. Yes. With, uh, which one, which one was, which one of the, it's, sh- uh, is it Sloth? Sloth? I think so. Yeah. It's all Polaroids. Can you imagine how weird that would be having, you got pol- continuity Polaroids on set and you got Polaroids that are completely relative to the movie. That'd be weird. That whole thing. Funny because I, uh, on Yes Man, I had to go out with, a, with, one, with that little mini Polaroid and shoot all of the photos that were supposedly shot by Zoe Deschanel. All of her art photos. We, I was one of like three people. We, we took the three people took the camera and we just went and shot a bunch of random shit. And that became her art in the movie. The Polaroids you're seeing were wow. all taken by people in the art department. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The way the movie works is such a, like you noted, there's no insomnia without this movie. There most certainly is no inception without this movie. And this movie plays a lot more like inception than insomnia does. As far as like the, the the like movies, as far as the way the story is being told, this movie, I say, for a second time filmmaker, this is a ballsy fucking movie. Oh yeah, but it goes into what we know about Christopher Nolan now and the kind of filmmaker that he is. He likes to challenge an audience, and sometimes to the detriment of of the audience, because I mean, Tenant, I can't even watch. And it's, 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 I tried to watch it and he does this thing where, like I said, he's very challenging of the audience of what, of what's expected in a movie, sonically, visually, and this movie is no exception. And you're seeing that right in the beginning, like you noted, you can't watch Insomnia or any of his movies for that matter, with the exception of the Batman movies, any of the, any of the Dark Knight trilogy, where if you look away for a second, you're going to miss something and it's going to fuck up the rest of your your movie experience watching something that he's filmed. Like I said, this is no exception because as the movie progresses, we're starting to see things separate from Leonard's eyes. It's it's fucked up, dude. And if you don't, like for that, for that moment, we are going to talk about things. I'm going to say this now. Again, 23 years old the movie is. And quite honestly, I've seen it before. I've seen it twice I, I didn't remember most of what happened in the movie as far as the way it was constructed. Right. Been constructed and deconstructed. Right. Right. But when Natalie, Carrie Ann Moss, dude, is sitting in the car on the driveway, I was like, fuck, I had no, I didn't remember it at all, at all. And once you start seeing things from away from Leonard's eyes, you're like going, dude, people are just, everybody's fucking with him. Just, dude, the most heartbreaking moment in the movie. Oh, yeah. I don't want to say that, but there are a few of them. One of them being the moment where he's looking for the pen. Yeah. Um, When she, after he, after she's goaded and goaded him into slapping her around and she leaves and she just, she's sitting in the car outside and he's, he's desperately searching for the pen because he knows that in 
30 seconds or so, he's going to forget all about it. Right. And he's looking for the pen. And, and, and it's funny because at the top of the scene, she's t- suddenly just f- taking all the pens and like, sort of like, she's like searching for something, but she, you see her, she's throwing all the pens in a bag. Right. Which is like something I probably don't, I never, I didn't remember. I don't, it. I don't remember it either. Yeah. But the, the real heartbreaking moment of this is the, uh, is the black and white stuff. The, the, the flashback stuff yeah. is him as an investigator and he keeps, you know, referring to Sammy Jankis, that whole, you know, the, how he ended up here, that, you know, that whole thing. Good Lord, dude. One of the things, too, that Nolan plays with in this, because you could just call him Leonard all the time, right? Pants. You can keep calling him John G. the whole time. But the thing is, you got Lenny, Teddy, Sammy. It's it's just the, it's there also there to cause confusion. Because I, I constantly am like, wait, who the fuck's Sammy again? I, you keep, it's, for me, I was having a hard time tracking, remembering every, the, the names, because we talked about names before. There's a reason why you want, have my taking away from a writer standpoint or from a, from a film fan standpoint, don't make all your characters sound, the character names sound too much alike. And this, when you have one, Lenny, Teddy, Jimmy, Sammy, it's like, that's another one too. I forgot to add Jimmy in there. There's four. There's four main characters in this movie they talk, that are in the movie where their their names are said constantly, and it's meant to confuse you and meant to throw you off and meant to make you constantly feel like Leonard does, where you're like, "What the fuck is going on with me?" Where he thinks he understands what's going on with him, and then he really doesn't. But I agree because when the whole movie, you're or at least up to this point where you see Natalie sitting in the driveway you really think that she's kind of on his side. And then when you- Right. Because everybody's saying, don't trust this person. Don't, you know, who the fuck do you trust? Right. Right? You want to trust her. Right. And do you realize that you can't trust anybody? (laughs) The only person that, the only person you can trust is, is Sammy. Sadly, (laughs) the only person, the only person you can really trust is uh, the doctor who's played by Tom Lennon from Reno 911. Right. Who says Um, nothing. Who has zero, dude, I was like, was that Tom Lennon? I thought the same thing. I had to look it up and I'm like, God, sure as hell was. The other kind of unspoken performance that kind of goes not unnoticed, but not unnoticed or shouldn't be unnoticed is uh, Georgia Fox as Leonard's wife. Yeah. You know, I mean, she basically, she's dead the entire time, but we do see her in those flashbacks and yeah, yeah, man. When you get to that point where Teddy is really just giving it to him after they kill Jimmy, dude, Sammy didn't have a wife. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause your wife is the one that has diabetes. Right. You was, are you, are you sure? And then now when they're flashing back to like him and he wasn't pinching her leg, he was like giving yes. her insulin. I was like, going, fucking movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we, we should also throw out a Mark Boone Jr. Shout out as Bert, right. the uh, hotel manager. Yeah. Who's kind of unscrupulously <laughs> renting uh, Leonard two rooms because he knows that he can't remember <laughs> that he even has one room. Right. Like I said earlier, the, the one thing that I had a hard time getting into with Pantoliana, because it's just Joey Pantoliano, when he shows up in a movie, you're like, oh, he's a bad guy. He's a douchebag. Like, I, it's kind of the same reason I can't watch The Matrix because of Cypher. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. It, it couldn't have been any more obvious. No. You know, and he's so douchey in The Matrix. So like, I, it's hard for me to, like, know. Like, I know I can't trust that guy. Like, and see, and having seen this movie, even if I hadn't seen this movie, right. I would have still had a hard time trusting Pantoliano. Right. 
We talked about when this movie came out in, re in relationship to Matrix. For a lot of people, like people know who Jerry Pants was, but you didn't know what he, that was probably his biggest feature film role. I mean, his, even his well, part in Midnight Midnight Run is, well, I mean, was he in that much? I mean, he was a key, he was a key well, player in I mean, the whole thing. Guido the Killer Pimp. Yeah. From Risky Business is how I was introduced to Joey Pants many, many years ago. And then he is in Running Scared with Gregory Hines and uh, Billy Crystal. I think for the nineties people, right? Like bound was probably the first thing like, you know, in the, you know, that, that's what kind of maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of people didn't see bound at that point. They didn't see bound until after matrix came out. Most people anyway, eh. at least the ones I talked to. Well, anyway, here's what, here's what I was kind of getting to the, the question of was Carrie Ann like cast in this before matrix dropped? No, actually the, she wasn't cast until after the matrix. Sure. And yeah, it was and Mary McCormick, since we were just talking about her recently, about her, she was supposed to be playing Natalie. She was him and hawing over it. But here's what's a nutty one. We're talking about Joey Pants and this pivotal role in this movie. Apparently, Dennis Leary was the originally cast, and then he became unavailable. And then they just that's when they put Joey Pants in the movie. How interesting how that worked out. Oh yeah, man. I could this is a this is a whole different movie with uh although I, I don't think it I don't think it ruins it. I mean, I think Leary would have been great. Well, yeah, and Lenny is supposed to be the way he is. You know, he pants works perfect in that part, and yeah. then he's. It just took me, yeah, like I said, it took me a few, about fifteen minutes to settle into him as Teddy, right? You know, getting over my personal like, okay, he's just being a douche. <laughs> he's a douchebag, right? If your real introduction to him was Cipher in the Matrix, and you see him six, seven months later playing this part, you're like, oh, he's the asshole from the Matrix. Well, right. Yeah. But then being an asshole is just, that's just his character. It doesn't affect the movie at all in, in a way where you're not going to get to the end where he's going to turn on somebody. He's he turned on him a long time ago and he's fucking with him the whole time. So yeah, it, dude, holy shit. And you're told the entire time on the Polaroid, don't believe his lies is the line, right? Uh, is what's written yep. on the Polaroid. Don't trust his lies. If you look at the rundown and, and behind the scenes uh, documentation of the movie, I think it, the, the location that it's shot in is basically that everybody was up for the part because of the, you know, it's in Los Angeles th th and everybody mostly lives here. It's not as much of a stretch to put it, send everybody out to uh, audition for a movie like this. But I think the cast works great. Even though we know about this alternative casting, I still am like going, does it change anything? I like Dennis Leary just fine, but would it? No, it does. No, no, yeah. I, I wouldn't change any of it. I mean, honestly, even with my Pantoliano objection, <laughs> um, I still, I think he's great in the movie. Um, yeah. Also, you know what? The movie I would say that probably everybody had probably identified with Joey Pants is probably The Fugitive. Yeah. Would I be think, the first one. Sure. 90% of the people are like, oh, that's Tommy Lee Jones' sidekick. <laughs> right. Yeah. He works great in this movie. I think so. Uh, my question for you is, is he, is he killing Dodd at the beginning of the movie? Is that, that, because it looks an awful lot like Teddy. It is Teddy. You don't see him kill Teddy in the movie anywhere except no. in the beginning. No, because you don't need to. Right. So he does off Teddy. Yeah. There, yeah. I, I got to say, though, the biggest problem I, I have with watching this movie in HD is I could see Joey's, like, I could see his wig line. Oh, I could see it. I could see it. On his, on his crow's dick. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. It's almost as bad as the one that uh, Chaz was wearing in um, Usual Suspects. By the time this comes around to the theaters, the last thing you really saw him in was The Matrix, and he was bald. 
Right. But, uh, but here's the, the, the guy Pierce has to carry this fucking movie. Oh yeah. And he's fucking great, dude. Dude. And how much do, like Brad Pitt does he look like? Yeah. He, he looks like Brad Pitt from seven. <laughs> Brad was supposed to play him. He was supposed to right. play Leonard. Then he had scheduling conflict and he had to bow out. Right. But I mean, I'm saying it's so weird because it's like, this is a movie like where I was like, there's, there's the shot where he first shows up and you see it in the trailer where he's holding the Polaroid out in his right hand. He's holding it. It's shot like from outside of a door. Somebody shot it from the inside. They're shooting him holding the Polaroid, right? He looks dead on Brad Pitt. Yeah. And all the tattoos and everything. It looks, it's very fight club. Yeah. Guy Pierce. He's one of those guys, man. He's never a bad actor, right? You never no, get a bad performance from him. And when I worked at Video Symphony, it's an editing school, and the Pro Tools class, the audio class, they had footage available. And the footage was for his version of the time machine. And so you had to do your sound design and everything around it. And people were like, well, what movie is this? I'm like, fuck, you should know what movie this is because I know it didn't do well, but I mean, at that point, it had only been out for like, it had been two years since the movie was out. I said, starring Guy Pierce. Like, I'm not big on remakes, but watch this movie because this dude delivers every damn time. And he does. He's wonderful in this. He's, I mean, everything. Every single damn fucking thing he does, he's great in. Yeah, I've never seen him in anything that I didn't think he was awesome in. I mean, I've seen movies strictly because he's in them. Like, what's the one, what's Escape from Outer Space? What's, what is that movie called again? I always forget. Lockout. Lockout, yeah. Which, you know. We talked about doing that before, didn't we? Yeah. Have. I think, oh, during that, when the pandemic first hit, we were talking about doing it because it was on start or something like that. Yeah. I think the thing, one thing I've seen him in more than anything is probably Iron Man 3 because Joey and I have watched it so many times. He's so good in that, that, that feeling you have in Memento where you just were just that tragic moment. Again, we've mentioned it a few times already of the driveway and the reveal about Natalie. That's how his character is in Iron Man 3. In Iron Man 3, Initially, our encounter with Aldra Killian, he's very, uh, what's the best word to say? He just, he's a sad sack. You have a lot of that empathy for Leonard once you see his condition and once you see people start fucking with him, which is kind of, he's really good at that. He's got a, even though, he, like you said, he's got a very Brad Pitt-esque thing about him and he's still a, a very handsome dude. But he still kind of looks like an everyday handsome dude, not not like a like a not like a film like a film star. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? You know what yeah, I'm saying? I do. He's like he seems like somebody you would see around town. He doesn't seem like somebody that's in a movie or in television all the time. But dude, how about when he shows up in the Hurt Locker and you're like, oh, holy fuck! And then they blow him up. Yeah, <laughs> <The first laughs> they didn't take, the they didn't take like, long, did it? What's uh, you know, I mean, he's great. And I mean, for as long as you're around, have you ever seen The Rover? It's another movie that I've, you know, I picked it up because he was in it. Robert Pattinson was in it. I was like, yeah, but it looked interesting enough. And uh, it's worth seeing. It's on HBO Max right now, but it's worth seeing strictly for Pierce's performance. I mean, he's fantastic in it. And it's one of those little sort of movies that you would never see unless you're, you know, you're like, oh, I kind of like Guy Pierce. I'm going to see what, you know, we'll see what this is all about. And then you're like, holy shit, that was a great movie. Like you, you had already mentioned Priscilla before, you know, that, that came out when we were talking before about when we were in our state of minds of like watching lots of indie movies and ignoring the popcorn stuff. Right. <laughs> and I remember seeing Priscilla at the new art. It was like, it was still limited run. I don't think it had gone wide. I mean, as as wide as that movie went in the States and fuck dude, I was like, going, oh, this movie is a trip. It's not an American movie. You can tell it just doesn't feel like it. 
but it let you know what kind of a performer he is. The dude just does whatever seems challenging to him. And he's in the heart locker. Like you said, he's in all, all of what, 60 seconds, if that long. About that. <laughs> it's, but he picks things that he just that he just wants to do. And he, he, even early in his career, something like this is like, look at the names we're only throwing about. Yeah, he's dressed right off at LA Confidential. Cool, whatever. Brad Pitt was right off of Fight Club and he was already a, a pretty well-established name. How many people knew who Guy Pierce was really before LA Confidential? No. Mm -mm. I feel like if you ask people about LA Confidential, they, they go, they lean more into and Crow right. than they ever do. You know, if you were to say, hey, who was the star of LA Confidential? Who, what would you say? What would your answer be? Russell Crowe? Yeah. You can't really say. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, that to me, like if I thought, oh, yeah, it's, that's Russell Crowe. If I was listening to Russell Crowe movies, I would list LA Confidential on it. You know, if I was listening to Guy Pierce movies, I wouldn't necessarily list LA Confidential as a Guy Pierce movie. No, I mean, he's in it and he's a standout in it, but he's, it's not his movie, right? Right. But I got to say, this is probably my favorite Carrie Ann Moss performance. When they're in the cafe, the first cafe scene together, fuck. She's so subdued. She's so controlled. She, you really see that, that there was a time I, I want to kind of like, I made this connection a while back, but between her and Famke Jansen, they kind of came out at the same time. They were at the same, they were going after the same parts. You could see, oh, yeah. you could see that. And this movie is how I feel about Famke in Favreau's Made. The way she plays that part in that is in this where she's just, not she's going against Cass. She's a very subdued and very, uh, I don't know, not Trinity. I'll just say that. You know yeah, what I mean? No, no, totally. Right. And then later on, again, the driveway scene, you're like going, oh, shit. And you really see her range. And it's just a look. Yeah. We talked recently about Bruce Willis and just giving a look and saying more with his eyes. And that shot, too. How far away do you think that shot was when you put your, but those eyes just cut through the shot and it's no close up. It's not even a medium right. shot. You're seeing it from inside the house and it's just like, fuck me, dude. It's like, she's, yeah, I, I can't disagree. I mean, it's been 23 years since this movie and I'm, I can't recall anything that she's done. That's made me say it's on that level. If you think of Carrie Ann Moss, really, you just kind of think of those three matrix movies, but dude, she's been in a lot of really cool movies and television stuff. But like, you know, if you said, okay, people, you know, people, Oh, Trinity. <laughs> it's so funny. I had forgotten until recently that she was part of all those Netflix Marvel shows. Oh yeah. Starting with Jessica Jones. Yeah. She was great on Jessica Jones. Yeah. Even when you got into the, the 2010s, you know, she was doing a lot of stuff then too. And for Joey, she's Trinity. But when she showed up on Chuck for like a, she did a four episode thing, on Chuck, which was, she played uh, Adam Baldwin's former, and then also the head of this, very much like her character in, in Jessica Jones, where she's high up lawyer type. She's wonderful in that. She was in the, the second Silent Hill movie, and she's she's had some, done some things. She's in Red Planet, dude. And say what you read about Red Planet, dude, but it's- I like Red Planet. Big swings, dude. I, I Again, I'd rather see a movie- I'd rather see that than Mission to Mars. Yes, 100%. Sorry, De Palma. <laughs> That's true. Directed by Louis De Palma. Yeah. <laughs> Louis. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, dude, Carrie's great in it. 
I, yeah, it's it's funny to be here 24 years after really being exposed to her with the first Matrix movie and still look back on this and go, man, this may be the best performance she's given. Or at least... Yeah, it's top five. It's, it's top five. And it's, if anything, probably anything she's done that was, it may be equal to it, right? And yeah, she's wonderful. Now, I want to talk about real quick <laughs> about the guy that plays Dodd. I've talked about Callum before on because he's on. He was his. He's been in other things, but him on Californication playing Lou Ashby, this big record producer. He was so yep. to me. I had forgotten he was in this. So when I saw him on Californication, I it's easily my favorite moment of the show. I really find like everything that happens with Lou. It's like you meet this guy at the beginning of the season, and it's heartbreaking. And I'm going to say, yeah, he dies at the end of the season. You're, the first episode you see him and he's having, he goes in anaphylactic shock and that's how he dies at the end of the movie, at the end of the season. You, you see it, he gets stuck with an EpiPen in the first episode, but they couldn't get to his EpiPen in time because really what it was, it was an epileptic shock. He ended up snorting heroin thinking it was Coke. There's your Pulp we Fiction. We know how that goes if I mean, you've seen Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's wonderful in this and I, and I can, and out of everybody in the movie, he's one I definitely forgot was in it and He's great. I, he's great in everything. Like when he approaches him, you know, he parks behind Lenny inside when he, and he pulls up and he's tapping on the window with the gun. I mean, we've seen that shot a hundred times, but there's something menacing when you're seeing somebody who you're not, whose face you're not familiar with mixed in with all the other faces you are familiar with. And Caleb Moraney is just fucking, he's great. I like, I like him a lot. I wish he'd work more. Again, another Englishman. And if you've ever heard him speak <laughs> on a BTS, it's jarring because most of the stuff I've ever seen him in, his, he's out in his English as an American accent. Well, if you'd like to see him do some good work, you could always check out The Man in the High Castle. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like, uh, I feel like here's the thing. Yeah, this fool. <laughs> April fooled, right? Like the, our whole like <laughs> snarky premise was like, these are movies that like you're, you know, they're, they're good ones. Uh, not so much. Right. <laughs> I'd say with the exception of, for me anyway, Usual Suspects, all of these are something you could watch multiple times yeah. and probably pick up little different nuances and, you know, not necessarily, you know, try to solve the mystery or see where I, you know, where I was duped. That's how I always viewed it. It was like, oh, what do I want to do? Go back and just see where I got duped because I enjoyed all of them and I wasn't trying to solve or look for moments where... I could have picked up on any of them, in any of them, even usual suspects. Right. I mean, but that was so in your face with this stuff. It's like you couldn't help but see what was happening in front of you. Right. You know? Right. Like you said, our snarky setup and... Backfired. Some, it, it did backfire. <laughs> well, again, with the with exception of movie number two. You know, I think we both got exactly what we, what we expected out of that one. In fact, if anything, I think I dislike the movie more now than I did before we watched it. But I've always had a love for Sixth Sense. My affection for it was, I was, it, my memory was jarred for it. And I'm like, I, right. oh yeah, I remember how much I love it for all the things that aren't the twist. Mm -hmm. Shutter Island, again, I'd only seen once and I'm like, fuck dude, this is, that's fucking a masterclass in mystery thriller. It's, it's really, yeah. really well fucking done. And this is just, again, like I said before we got a mic, I made the mistake of looking away too often and not staying focused. 
and we've always want movies that challenge us. Yeah, we want popcorn movies once in a while. We don't have to worry about the fuck <laughs> thinking about anything. But you can't look away from this one. You just can't. Uh, so three of the four movies went, oh, yeah, fuck you and your premises. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. They're like, take that. There is something that happens with the first movie that happens in this movie. And you can sit there and say, oh, they're not alike, but I really think they are. There's a moment we spoke about in Sixth Sense episode where Cole is talking to his mom in the traffic jam and he's starting to tell her what's what. And I talk about the color palette and how it shifts from reds to blues. And just to let you know, the thing that we've seen the whole movie is, I mean, everybody knows when it starts getting cold, well, blue's cool, right? So it happens in this movie too. He's in a black and white sequence waiting for a Polaroid to change. And as it changes the color, the scene changes the color when they pull back. Yep. Dude. Yeah. It, dude, it, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is, there's, you know, this is a, this is a very well-made visually creative and not in a distracting way. No. I mean, it's, you're never distracted by the trickery, the film, you know, it's not like, Hey, here's everything I learned in film school. Check it out in my movie. Right. You know, none of it's distracting to the story that's being told. And it, it, it all aids the film in its storytelling process. I mean, I don't always love Nolan's movies, but I certainly love this movie and I loved the next one, Insomnia. (laughs) And I loved it when it came out, but I just never went back to it again because I had convinced myself that what's the fun in watching this movie? You know, I really, the trick. So what's the point? But not so, not so. Right. That's where it all backfired us this month is like, again, with exception of movie number two, the memory of all three of the movies that outside of Usual Suspects is that everybody remembers the twist. And that's all right. they remember about it. And there's obviously so much more to a movie than that. Yep. Like the comparable I made earlier with Psycho. Yeah, we know what we still know Norman's a killer. Whatever. We know that Joey Pants dies in the beginning, but how did we get here? Right. And this movie sparked a lot of copycats and that kind of opening, the cold opening where and then you get a, the card that pops up and say two days earlier, you know, that it, it's, this is right around when you're starting to see that thing where people sure. started doing the, a nonlinear story, but only the opening, the cold open, it feels like a cold open, but you realize that it's not. And, and but yeah, for a, for a second feature film, super well-crafted, Super challenging, extremely ambitious. Again, like you said, that they need that film school reference where people come to film school, right? You know, swinging, like, let me show you all the tools and all the tricks and everything that I learned. Very controlled. If anybody sees Inception and feels like it's just a little bit, <laughs> maybe something got a little bit, a little bit too heady, just dial back a little bit and, and, and remind yourself how good of that kind of storytelling is with memento and, and it's straightforward. I mean, it's funny, as funny as it sounds to describe it that way, it's not overly convoluted. It's very straightforward movie. When you sit down and watch it and pay attention, you don't really miss anything if you watch it. Right. Uh, I'm going to post a link to it in the show notes, but there's a diagram depicting the structure of the entire movie. We talked about pre mic that explains this little infographic that explains what you're looking at, at at what time of the movie, which I think is pretty clever. This kind of movie has to happen. You have to write it out that way. I mean, even in, in Inception, I think Nolan spent 10 years writing it. Well, I'm not surprised because so it's so 
intricate. With this, even when you look at this infographic, it's kind of nutty. Anyway, you got extremely well-crafted movie, right at independent, when independent cinema was kind of like, what, I'd say like three, four, five years into its big swings. It was like Reservoir. I, I, I jumped back to Reservoir. So it was like eight, it was like at year eight, right? Like Yeah. It was almost a decade in. I mean, my, I mean, like from the fight, the Pulp Fiction point forward, everybody was trying to do something that everybody hadn't oh, done before. That's sure. kind of like yeah. looking at. Yeah, we weren't even at the ten year mark for the, the movement. If, hell, we were at the ten year mark if you want to count Sex Lies, right? Yes. Unfortunately, I feel like this kind of storytelling, this attention to detail, and this these kind of special stories that we've been talking about for the last three four weeks. You're finding them on television now. It's on streamers now. I don't. I find like most. Could we talk about feature films now? Are superheroes and existing IP? Yep. We're not fortunate enough to see things like this, but sometimes we do. Well, yes. You know, sometimes we get south of heaven. Sometimes we, you know, but you still got to go. You have to go back to the independent way of making movies to see that kind of film anymore. Yeah, man. This is a movie I feel like doesn't get made today. Or if it did, it's you know it ends up on. AMC Plus. <laughs> That's where it debuts. <laughs> right. And, or, but, it, but it's a limited series, though. Yeah, exactly. It's six episodes of Memento. Yeah. <laughs> which doesn't need to be. No. I was going to say, maybe maybe uh, if you want to attach this article, too, for anybody who wants to get super nerdy and fucking read about Memento. Oh, yeah. Because like it, it, it really kind of, I mean, it's super interesting. Take a read for yourself, you know, if you want. Maybe add that link, too. But it, it is a good, it's a good bit. And uh would have never come across it. And it's, it was written last Thanksgiving. It's, it, it dropped on the 25th of 2022. So it's such a weird time to put a, an article like that. Yeah. I wasn't sure if there was something that coincided with it, but it just sort of, you know, I didn't, because he didn't have a movie that came out no. and there was no, there was no release of, you know, there was no anniversary release of any of his films. Weird. There you have it. Who knows? Uh, but that's Memento, man. Memento. So if you want to follow us on the socials, it's at Karate Pod on Twitter, Insta, and Letterbox. Corey on Letterbox is Corey underscore Culp, and on Insta, it is Culprit97. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram or at Leonard Shelby. Maybe? Is that, who's Leonard Shelby? Fuck, I forgot. At Letterbox.com. Leonard Shelby. <laughs> Leonard Shelby. Uh, who am I again? Yeah. <laughs> Letterboxed. <laughs> Letterboxed. <laughs>